Wisteria. Energy. 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 Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and to the next Urban Legend by Drak von Stoller. The clown statue is this urban legend. Dan and Brenda Stevens finally planned a night out without the kids were able to find a babysitter at the last minute. Brenda's friend Karen's daughter Susan happened to be free for the evening because her boyfriend was sick. So instead of being stuck home all night with nothing to do, her mother suggested she babysat her friend Brenda's kids and make a little extra money. Susan was happy to earn some easy money for a couple of hours. Susan got ready, said goodbye to her mother and drove to Stephen's house for what she thought would be a quiet night and some easy babysitting money. Instead, it was going to be a night of terror. Susan finally arrived at Stephen's house as the rain was pouring down. Susan knocked on Stephen's door and Dan and Brenda greeted her and told her after she put the kids to bed she could watch TV in their bedroom because the TV in the living room wasn't working. Susan said no problem. She told them to have a good time, not to worry about the kids and she would take good care of them. Then Stephen's ran out in the pouring rain to their car, the Stevens, last family name. They drove to their restaurant that the husband had picked out. Susan played a few games with the kids and when it got to eight o'clock, told them it was time for bed. She read them a bedtime story and said goodnight to them, turned out their bedroom light, and got some soda from the refrigerator, went back upstairs to watch TV until the Stevens returned from their dinner date. Susan sat down and turned on the TV via remote, flipping through the channels, and popped the top of the soda can. Just as she touched her lips to the soda can to take a drink, she said to herself, That's odd. What is a creepy-looking clown statue doing in their bedroom? It doesn't even look like it belongs here. Susan just brushed it off as maybe the Stevens got it as a gift from one of their friends and couldn't say no to their kind gesture. After about 15 minutes, Susan got up and went to use the restroom. And she was sitting on the toilet. She heard a noise and said, Kids, you better not be up. Just because I'm your babysitter doesn't mean you can get away with murder. Susan went into the children's bedroom and softly called out their names. But they were fast asleep. She even went over to the beds and nudged them, but they just squirmed around a bit. Susan went back to Mr and Mrs Stevens' room to finish off watching TV until they arrived back home. Susan again looked at the clown statue and did a double take and said, I could have sworn the clown statue was not there a minute ago. She began to get a little nervous and decided to give Stevens a call about their clown statue. Hello, Mr. Stevens speaking. Mr. Stevens, this clown statue in your bedroom is creeping me out, exclaimed Susan in a nervous voice. What clown statue, replied Mr. Stevens. Then screams from Susan rang through the receiver of his phone, and then silence. There was nothing Mr. Stevens could do about it. 
Mr. Stevens was worried something was wrong. He feared for the children's safety and the babysitter and immediately dialed 911. Mrs. Stevens and his wife ran to their car and sped down the road as fast as they could, fearing the unknown. When the police officers entered Stevens' residence, they smelled fresh, burning, entered the kitchen and got the shock of their lives. The two children and the babysitter's heads were in a pot boiling on the stove. The clown statue said, I'm sorry, but I only have enough to go around for three people and there are five of us. The police told the clown statue to freeze, but he just kept stirring the heads in the boiling water. Then he dropped the spoon, put his hands in the air, and the police apprehended him and placed him in handcuffs, then escorted him to the squad car. As the Stevens arrived at their house, two police officers had to subdue them because of the horrific scene inside their home. Mr. Stevens was screaming out, Where are my babies? And the officer said, as he choked back the words, They're dead. They're dead. I'm so sorry. They were told that Susan's cell had suddenly turned into screams on the call. And when the police arrived, they found her lifeless body on the floor of their bedroom, right beside the clown statue. Panic and disbelief consumed Anne and Brenda. They were devastated, not only for the loss of the young girls, but their two young children were also dead, which would be wounds deep enough. I mean, that would take years of therapy and probably never heal. As the investigation unfolded, the police pieced together a chilling sequence of events. The rain-soaked night had masked the intruder's approach. He'd been hiding in the shadows, silently moving through the house, biding his time. When Susan had gone to use the restroom, that's when he made his move. The intruder, a man with a history of violent crimes, had been fixated on the Stevens' home. He had, somehow, managed to acquire a clown costume, using it as a disguise to infiltrate the house. His intention was clear, to create chaos and instill fear. As the investigation continued, more details emerged about the man's motives and criminal history. It was revealed that he had been responsible for a series of gruesome murders, each carried out with a level of cruelty and sent shivers down the spines of even the seasoned detectives. The evidence against him was overwhelming, and the case took a dark turn when it was revealed that the clown costume had been used in previous crimes. The trial was intense and emotionally charged. The man showed no remorse for his actions, and his defence was filled with attempts to shift blame and create doubt. However, the evidence presented by the prosecution was damning. The jury's decision was swift. Guilty on all counts. The judge, considering the heinous nature of the crimes, sentenced him to death. Dan and Brenda struggled to cope with the aftermath of that horrific night. The trauma ran deep, and their home, once a place of comfort, now held haunting memories. The loss of Susan and their two children put a huge hole in their hearts that would take many years to heal. The story of that fateful night served as a chilling reminder of the darkness that could lurk, even in the most ordinary places. It was a cautionary tale that left the community shaken but vigilant. 
The Stevens family, forever scarred by the tragedy, wished they could turn back time, but knew that was impossible. Lessons to be learnt. That you may want to check off windows and doors. Make sure they are locked before you head out into the night. If you don't, there might just be a clown statue somewhere in your house, waiting for the opportunity to kill and send fear into the hearts of the townspeople. For years to come, until you, of course, heed this warning. The end. And that is the urban legend of the clown statue. Although I did notice that apparently when the police broke down the door, right, it said they found the clown stirring the heads in the pot. Yet it said when the Stevens got there, or whoever got there, it also says something about finding the babysitter's body at the side of the clown statue. So, did the police go in, find the babysitter's body first, leave the house to start calling it off, and then went back in and found the clown that they thought was a statue, then stirring the heads in the pot? I don't know. I'm trying to make sense of that, because if you actually listen to the story, it does state that the police found the clown... Stirring the heads in the pot, right? And he just put his hands up and were arrested. But, a little bit further down, it says... There was a scream on the phone. And when they got there, they found the babysitter's body at the side of the clown statue. So, like, it's either a mistake. Or something, I don't know. It doesn't make sense, does it, right? Well, it doesn't to me, anyway. When you think about it, it's, it's like a mistake in the story or something, but... Anyway, that's probably a well-known urban legend by many people, but there you go. Thank you for listening, and many blessings. Hello everyone, whether you're listening on YouTube or on my podcast, thank you so very much. This is the urban legend. Aren't you glad? You didn't turn on the light. By Drak von Stoller. Meg was happy to have the chance their other sisters didn't. She was finally going to college. Meg's sisters helped her move into a new dorm. Her sisters were introduced to her roommate, Samantha. Meg and Samantha got along well. They helped each other in their studies. Samantha needed the most help with her homework because she did like to party and Meg always had her head in the textbooks. Midterms were just around the corner and a big party was at a good friend of Samantha's house and of course Samantha wasn't going to miss the party over a midterm exam. Samantha said, Meg, there is a party at one of my friend's house and there's a guy I'd really like you to meet. What do you say? You want to come? Or are you going to stay inside this boring dorm studying all weekend? Well, it's it sure sounds tempting. But I want to keep an average at A in every class, replied Meg. Okay, Meg, but this guy is adorable, said Samantha. I'm sure he is. You go on and have a good time at the party. And thanks anyway for the invitation. There was kind of you to think of me. Meg replied. Samantha went to the party and arrived back at the dorm until after midnight. 
Samantha opened the door to the dorm room and noticed it was pitch black inside. But she was too drunk and too tired to turn on the light switch. So she went to bed. The next morning, Samantha looked at her alarm clock and it said, Well, she was late. Oh my God, it's afternoon. It's no- I've missed all of my midterms. She noticed Meg was still in bed and thought that was odd. She wasn't at her midterm exams. Samantha got out of bed and came over to wake up Meg, but she didn't move. Samantha said, quit playing around. We're going to be in big trouble, big trouble for missing some of our exams. Samantha pulled the covers off her head and screamed. There was a pool of blood in her bed. Her limbs were act off. Then Samantha looked at the wall beside the bed and noticed red writing on the wall. She went over and touched the writing and screamed again and said, It's it's blood. Then she read the message on the wall in tears. It said, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? (laughs) In the days that followed, the news of Meg's horrifying death spread like wildfire through the campus, as you would expect it to. The once lively dormitory became a place of whispers and trepidation. The tragedy was met with shock and sorrow, and it sent ripples of fear among the students. The legend, once just an urban tale, seemed to have manifested itself in the most gruesome way imaginable. Samantha, traumatised by the loss of her roommate and the terrifying message scrawled on the wall, struggled to come to terms with the reality of what had happened. The guilt of going to the party and leaving Meg alone in the dawn that night weighed heavily on her conscience. She became withdrawn and haunted, her nights were with nightmares, her days spent trying to piece together the events leading up to Meg's death. As the campus community mourned, some students were more affected than others. A few girls in the dormitory claimed to have heard strange noises and seen fleeting shadows in the hallway during the night. Rumours began to circulate that Meg's spirit was seeking revenge, that her death had been the result of some otherworldly force tied to a chilling legend. In the midst of this turmoil, a team of paranormal investigators arrived on campus. They had heard about the tragic events and were determined to uncover the truth behind the legend and Meg's untimely demise. Armed with their equipment, they conducted thorough investigations of the dormitory, looking for any signs of paranormal activity, explanations that went beyond the surface. The investigators delved into the history of the campus, digging up accounts of similar incidents that had occurred in the past. They discovered tales of students who had mysteriously vanished, or met gruesome fates. Stories that often had been dismissed as mere urban legends. As they pieced together the puzzle, they realised that there was a pattern of darkness. It seemed to reoccur every few years. The investigators interviewed Samantha and other students who had experienced strange occurrences. They listed their stories of unexplained noises, eerie whispers, shadowy figures. Samantha recounted the message scrawled on the wall, a discovery of Meg's brutalised body. The investigators knew they were dealing with something more complex and sinister than a simple urban legend. As they continued their research, they uncovered a connection between the victims and the campus itself. There were rumours of an old ritual that had been performed by secret societies. This was decades ago. A ritual meant to summon a malevolent presence. 
that fed on fear and darkness. Could this ritual had inadvertently unleashed a force that continued to plague the campus? The investigators organised a late-night vigil in the haunted dormitory, hoping to make contact with whatever entity may be responsible for the tragedies. They set up their equipment, including audio recorders, cameras. They called out to the spirit, inviting it to communicate. The atmosphere was tense as they waited, but their senses heightened by the palpable energy in the air. As the night deepened, the investigators began to experience strange phenomena. Cold spots, unexplained drafts, inexplicable sounds filled the dormitory. The audio recorders picked up faint whispers, as if the very walls were trying to convey a message. Suddenly a presence seemed to manifest, and the investigators felt an otherworldly weight in the room. Using their equipment, the investigators attempted to communicate with the spirit. Through a series of yes or no questions, they learned that the malevolent entity had indeed been unleashed by an old ritual and had been feeding on fear and despair ever since. It was drawn to places of darkness and had been responsible for the tragedies that had occurred on campus over the years. The investigators, armed with this knowledge, devised a plan to confront the entity and put an end to its reign of terror. They performed a ritual of their own, meant to banish the malevolent presence from the campus. As they chanted invoked positive energy, the atmosphere in the dormitory shifted. The air felt lighter, and the oppressive energy seemed to recede. Days turned into weeks, and the campus began to heal. The once-haunted dormitory slowly regained a sense of normalcy. The investigators' efforts had worked. The malevolent entity that had plagued the campus for years was gone. The legend of the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light message became a chilling reminder of the darkness that could befall those who dared to delve into the supernatural. Samantha, though scared by the events, found solace in the support of her friends and the knowledge that the entity's reign of terror had ended. As the campus community came together to remember the victims, honour their memories, a renewed sense of unity and resilience took root. And while the legend remained, it became more of a cautionary tale of the dangers that lurk in the shadows and the importance of confronting darkness with courage and a pure determination. Light outdoes the dark. Always remember that. Thank you for listening to this Urban Legend Tale. Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel. Whether you're listening on YouTube or the podcast, thank you very much. This is an urban legend. Humans can like two. By Drac von Stoller. Part one. A fateful night. Today was an exciting day for Cathy, because it was the first day her parents felt they could trust her to stay at home by herself. They could finally have a night to themselves and stay out late, but they had no idea their choice would cost their daughter's life. 
Kathy reassured them she would be okay by herself and felt even more safe because she had her dog to keep her company. Her mother asked her if she would be okay for a few hours alone and Kathy said, just go, enjoy yourselves. I'll see you soon, her father said. Let's go, don't worry, she's old enough to be on her own now. Well, all right. Let's go, said her mother. As her parents left, Kathy waved goodbye, feeling a lump forming in her throat. She hugged her dog tightly, seeking comfort in his warm fur. She'd always been grateful for his companionship, but now she felt as though he was a lifeline. She knew that with him by her side, she would be able to make it through the weekend. Part 2 The Storm and Disappearance as the storm began to rage outside, Kathy settled down on the couch, turning on a movie to distract herself from the howling wind and the rain. Her dog curled up beside her, his breathing steadied and reassuring. As the night wore on, Kathy began to feel drowsy. She drifted off to sleep. It was only when she woke up that she realised her dog was gone. Panic set in as she searched the house and calling out his name. But there was no response. She searched every room, her heart racing. But he was nowhere to be found. She knew that she had to keep looking. But exhaustion had set in. She was struggling to keep her eyes open. Eventually, she gave up the search and crawled into bed, feeling alone and vulnerable. She left the door to her bedroom slightly open, hoping that her dog would find his way back to her. But as she drifted off to sleep, she heard a faint, dripping noise coming from the bathroom. She tried to ignore it, telling herself that it was just the rain outside. But it persisted, growing louder and more insistent. Feeling uneasy, Kathy got out of bed and walked over to the bathroom. The faucet was dripping, so she turned it off, relieved that she had found the source of the noise. But as she turned to leave, she felt... A chill ran down her spine. Something wasn't right. She couldn't quite put a finger on it, but she had a sense of foreboding. Part 3. The Horrifying Discovery As she walked back to her bedroom, she reached down to pet her dog, only to find he wasn't there. Panic set in as she searched the room, but he was nowhere to be found. It was only when she noticed a faint sound coming from under the bed that she realised something was wrong. As she peered under the bed, her heart stopped. There, hanging from a cord, was her dog. She screamed, recoiling in horror as she read the note that was attached to him. Humans can lick, too. Suddenly, Kathy heard a noise coming from outside. Her heart racing, she stumbled towards the front door, desperate to escape, but it was too late. The escaped convict was waiting for her, and before she could even scream, he had grabbed her and dragged her back into the house. Part 4 The Investigation Unravels As Kathy's parents returned home, they found the house in disarray. Their daughter was nowhere to be found, and their beloved dog was dead. They were devastated, knowing only if they had stayed home, this tragedy could have been avoided. 
as the police investigated the scene, they uncovered the chilling details of what had happened. An escaped convict had been lurking outside the house, waiting for his chance to strike. He had used Kathy's fear of being alone to his advantage, luring her into a false sense of security before launching his attack. Part 5. Coping with loss and lessons learned. For Kathy's parents, the guilt was overwhelming. They left their daughter vulnerable and alone. Now she was gone. They vowed never to leave her alone again, but it was too late. All they had left was... What if? In the wake of Kathy's tragic death, her parents became advocates for child safety. They worked tirelessly to spread awareness about the dangers of leaving children home alone, the importance of keeping a watchful eye on their surroundings. Kathy's story became an urban legend in the town. Parents wanted their children to be warned about the dangers of being alone, to be cautious of strangers. The legend of Humans Can Link Too served as a haunting reminder of consequences of complacency and the importance of prioritising safety. In the years that followed, Kathy's parents established a foundation in her memory, focusing on child safety initiatives and providing support to families who had lost loved ones to violence. They hoped that through their efforts, they could prevent other families from experiencing the same heartbreak they had endured. As the years passed, of course, the legend Humans Can Link too continued to be passed down from generation to generation. It's like a grim cautionary tale that served as a reminder that danger could lurk, even in the most unexpected places. Kathy's legacy lived on, not only in the hearts of her grieving parents, but also in countless lives that were touched by her story. And though the pain of her loss would never truly fade, her memory became sort of a beacon of hope, inspiring others to be vigilant, cherish their loved ones, and work together to create a safer world for, a safer world for everyone. Of course, what you're probably wondering is why it skipped the most important part. Well, that's because the urban legend comes from this particular story. The part that it missed out is that when she turns the faucet, and it's like these are the parts added in that made it the urban legend, I guess. But basically, when she hears the, side, the, the noise and she turns the faucet off and she feels a bit weird, she decides to hide under a bed because she feels alone and not safe. That part's missing out of the story, because whether it actually happened or not is not known. But as in the urban legend as it goes, she hid under the bed because she, she was scared, she was alone, and she was hearing noises. Now, another part it missed out was the previous night, where she fell asleep on the bed exhausted from searching for the dog, only to feel her dog licking her hand. So it did miss a couple of points out, but that's the urban legend of it. So the urban legend story that's told goes like this. Young girl left alone for the weekend. Her parents out on a business convention. She has a dog, feels very comforted because she's got the dog, obviously. And one particular night, late night, she's getting ready to go to bed and... She can't seem to find the dog anywhere. She's shouting the dog. And they do live in a fairly big farmhouse. So eventually she just collapses on bed and falls to sleep. Now, partway into the night, she feels the dog licking her hand. 
So she's extremely comforted because obviously a dog's looking around so she knows now a dog's under the bed. And then she falls back to sleep and then again she's woken up by a dripping sound in the bathroom. When she goes to the bathroom to check on the dripping sound, her dog is hanging in the bath shower area. The, the dog has been mutilated. The dripping sound is the dripping of blood onto the bathtub, you know, as it makes that echoey sound. And when she sees the writing on the wall, it says, humans can lick too. So she obviously runs and the first place she runs to is under a bed to hide, completely forgetting, you know, the, the part where her hand was licked. And she disappears, never to be seen again. Or she's murdered in a brutal form. That's the urban legend of it. But the story actually comes from sort of something similar, but the facts are not really known about it, if you get what I mean. Because it was so long ago or whatever. But you can look into it, and I think it comes up with like, six or seven different stories humans can link to but I just thought it was odd because this particular story leaves out the main part of it and I didn't get why do you know why guys why would why would the story leave out the main part of it seems a little odd to me and I'm just curious what you think too but thank you for taking the time to listen to this one I found it interesting because it left the main part out I think so yeah Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel. Thank you for tuning in, whether it be on YouTube or the podcast, I appreciate it. Another urban legend the Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, again by Drac von Stoller, so we may find that it's told a little differently than what it normally would be. But let's get into it, shall we? Jamie was thumbing through the newspaper in search of a weekend job for the summer. She was 16 years old and needed the extra money to help save the textbooks when she started school in the fall. She tossed the newspaper on the floor, frustrated with no results. Then one of the newspaper pages flipped over to the last page of the classified. And there, in small print, babysitter needed for the summer. She said, how did I miss this? Maybe, maybe I was skimming over it. Maybe because I was going too fast. Jamie called the number and a middle-aged woman answered and said, may I help you? Yes, you can. I'm interested in the babysitting job. But wasn't sure if this was like an everyday thing or the weekends only, asked Jamie. I'm sorry, but I meant to put weekends only, but I was in a hurry, explained the woman. If you're looking to babysit every day, I apologise for any inconvenience that may have caused you, said the woman. No, no, this is what I wanted. When can I start, asked Jamie. Well, you can start next weekend around 5pm, asked the woman. That sounds perfect. I'll see you then, replied Jamie. Jamie hung up the phone and was excited about having a summer job. That would ease her mind about how she was going to be able to pay for her textbooks. The week passed by like a rocket and it was Saturday. Jamie showed up with her babysitting job right on time. 
She knocked on the front woman's door and the woman opened the door and said, You must be Jamie. It's so nice to see you. The woman introduced her children to Jamie and told her she would be back by 6pm on Sunday night. The woman said bye to Jamie and her kids then. She got in a car and drove to a business trip. Jamie played some games with the children. Then the phone rang. Jamie picked up the phone and said, Who's there? And all she heard was heavy breathing. She hung up the phone and went back to playing games with the children. Jamie checked her watch and said, Oh my, it's 8pm. How time flies when you're having fun. Well, children, it's time for bed. Jamie escorted the children upstairs to the bedroom that they shared. She read them a story. A few minutes later, the children were fast asleep. Jamie got up out of the bed and then turned the light out. She went downstairs to watch TV before going to sleep. As Jamie was eating popcorn and watching a movie called Halloween, it started storming outside. Scary movies scare the willies out of her, but she still liked watching them anyway. The phone started to ring, and so she picked it up again and said, Hello? An eerie voice said, Have you checked on the children lately? Who is this? she said. Then the caller hung up the phone. Jamie just thought it was someone calling, like, random numbers, playing a prank. Jamie just kept watching a scary movie. The phone rang again, and she picked it up and said, Hello? This time, the caller was persistent on her checking on the children upstairs. Jamie was starting to get nervous, so she put her popcorn down on the coffee table, headed upstairs to check on the children. When she opened their bedroom door and turned on the light, she screamed bloody murder. The children were dead, and the man said, I told you to check on the children, didn't I? Jamie screamed and ran out of the bedroom to call the police. But the axe-wielding man wasn't about to let her reach the phone. He ran downstairs as she was screaming. Then as she put her hand on the receiver, the axe split her skull wide open. Poor Jamie lay on the floor, dead in a pool of blood. The man pulled the axe out of her head and started chopping her into a million pieces. As he was giving her the axe, he said, I thought I told you to check on the children, and you didn't. Now you're all dead, all dead because of it. The axe-wielding man laughed an eerie laugh, and took his bloody axe with him and slipped out into the stormy night, leaving a bloody mess behind for the police to clean up. When the owner arrived home by 6pm on Sunday, she got the shock of her life. The two most influential people in her life were dead, and the babysitter that was supposed to keep them safe while she was gone was also dead. If the babysitter would have only did what the man upstairs told her to do, maybe her children would still be alive. I guess we'll never know what if in this tragic story. The end. Thank you for listening to this urban legend. I'm sure you've all heard it a thousand times, but, you know, they're still good, right? Please hit the like, share if you can, and if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings. Wisteria. Wisteria. Wisteria.
energy, 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 energ